Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. Oh, set me upon the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge and a strong tower for me against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tabernacle forever, and my refuge shall be under the covering of your wings. Amen. Please be seated. I still remember the precise moment when the flash bang grenade went off. We were sleeping and it felt like it had just exploded in our living room. I ran out of our bedroom and down the hall, looking out the front door, and I saw a SWAT team kicking down our neighbor's front door across the street. Running around the block, we had officers up and down, armed with rifles and shotguns. How's that for an alarm clock? This was many uh, of the unsettling incidents we witnessed during our time in St. Louis. Gunshots, carjackings, house fires, and drug deals. We quickly realized how St. Louis had earned its spot at the top of the most dangerous cities to live in. Not the list you'd like your hometown to be on. Those years in St. Louis conditioned us always to be suspicious of our surroundings. We never felt safe, not even behind our deadbolted doors or with our trusted chocolate lab Kinsey at the door or our safety cameras posted up around the house. We were always looking over our shoulders. A deep sense of insecurity and vulnerability hung over us during those years. You can imagine our disbelief upon moving to Grove City and realizing that our neighbors don't even lock their doors at all. But so many of us here tonight, we carry this same sense of spiritual insecurity and vulnerability with us day to day. Perhaps the sins that you try to cover up just are, are getting out of control, or you've suffered the death of someone near to you. You're struggling to parent your children, or you're trying to live up to your parents' expectations. All these things threaten to overwhelm us and distance us from our God. And so today, as we walk through the Psalms this summer, we turn our attention to Psalm 61. Psalm 61 is for the faint of heart, for those who feel overwhelmed, those whose hearts are heavy, for those of us who feel like our backs are against the wall. As we walk through the psalm, I aim to show how Jesus meets us exactly in that place. William Tyndale, a leading figure of the English Reformation, wrote this about the scriptures. He wrote, The scriptures spring out of God and flow to Christ. And we were, giving, we were giving them to lead us to Christ. You must therefore go along by a line until you come to Christ, which is the way's end and resting place. So this evening, I want us to walk through this beautiful psalm of comfort as by a line and help us see the security that we possess in Christ. I want to speak about prayer 
the protection of God and praise. So first, a word about prayer. Psalm 61 is attributed to David. It begins by him calling out to God, Hear my cry. O God, listen to my prayer. We don't know with certainty, but many Old Testament scholars locate this psalm being written during David's escape from Jerusalem, during his son Absalom's rebellion. David is writing from a place of both physical insecurity, he's fleeing his house and his kingdom, but also emotional and spiritual insecurity. He's experiencing the betrayal of his very own son and the uncertainty of God's protection over his life. David is crying out to the God who has spoken and acted in creation. For prayer is never the first word. Prayer is our response to God who has already acted in our life. He always has the first word. We do not cry out to the infinite abyss, but to the God who has spoken to us, confident that he is there, listening. In verse 2, we read, From the ends of the earth I will call upon you when my heart is in heaviness. This phrase, from the ends of the earth, speaks to David's separation both from Jerusalem, but also to his despair and his distance from God. For his heart is in heaviness. The King James Version translates this as, When my heart is overwhelmed. The same Hebrew word translated heaviness here in our passage tonight is used again in Psalm 122 where this this despair, this distance from God is explored in much more detail. Here the psalmist cries out, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. These prayers, these lament psalms, give us words to pray, words to call out to God in our distress. Athanasius, the fourth century theologian and bishop, rightly observes that whereas most scripture is God speaking to us, the, the psalms speak for us. He says this about the Psalms. He says, in the case of all the Psalms, it is as though it were our own words. Anyone who hears them is moved at heart, as though they voiced them from their own deep thoughts. The Psalms give us words to call out to God when we don't know what to say, when the words aren't there. When our hearts are heavy and our words are few, we look to the Psalms to direct our speech. For in fact, the Psalms were always on the lips of Jesus. He quoted from the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. We hear him using the words of Psalm 22 upon the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at the last hour with the words of Psalm 31, he commends his spirit to God, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And you do not have to look hard in the tradition of the church to find faithful Christians crying out to God with this language of lament. In Augustine's confessions, full of fear and anxiety and guilt, we hear him crying out to God, O Lord, how long, how long? Will you be angry forever? 
Do not remember our age-old sins. Again, John Calvin, often depicted as a stoic and unfeeling pastor-theologian, writes to another minister about the death of his friend. He writes, The death has so overwhelmed me that I can set no bounds to my grief. Distress and wretchedness during the day seem only to prepare me for more painful and excruciating thoughts at night. The Psalms provide us the language to cry out to God in truth, with where we're truly at. C.S. Lewis says that in prayer we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. God invites us to come to him in prayer with all of our fears and our anxieties, our pain, and in our sin. There is nothing that is unmentionable to God. Nothing is beyond the scope of his providential love and mercy. So I, I exhort you to confess the ways that you've sinned against one another and God. Come to God with your grief. Cry out to God when you can't escape the cycle of negative thoughts that are haunting you. Come to God with your shame. When your heart is heavy, call out to the Lord who hears us and delivers us. Now looking as the movement of Psalm continues, I want to say a word about protection. There's a movement in this Psalm from David's desperate cry of lament to an appeal for God's protection. He is expressing confidence in the nature of God who has already shown himself faithful. In verse 3, he writes, Oh, set me upon the rock that is higher than I. David is pleading with God to set him upon the rock that transcends his struggle. Throughout the Old Testament, this image of the rock is used to depict a secure fortress, a hiding place for God's people. When the floods of life overwhelm us, we can cry out with the words of Psalm 62. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. In an act of remembrance of God's protection in the past, David then says, For you have been my refuge and a strong tower for me against the enemy. In biblical times, in cities, the tower was in the middle of the city and it was the highest building. It was the last line of protection if all the other walls were breached, the final hope. It contained storehouses and provisions for the people to live. One commentator remarks that the people must have frequently cast glances over their shoulders at their tower while going about their daily lives. The presence of the tower alone brought feelings of security during hostile times. This image of the strong tower complements the security that is derived from being on the covering of God's wings in verse 4. This image evokes a mother bird protecting her young, an image that we also see scattered throughout the Psalms and the prophets. These metaphors, rock, strong tower, wings, all speak to the security and the permanence of life in Christ. As the hymn proclaims, when all around my soul gives way, he then is my hope and stay. Moving along in our psalm, in verse 4 we read, let me dwell in your tabernacle forever. For Israel, the tabernacle represented God's presence on earth. David is expressing his deep desire to be where God is. This prayer recalls the scene from Exodus 
when the Israelites were in the wilderness and where the Lord resided with Israel and spoke to Moses in the tabernacle. The whole purpose of the tabernacle was for God to encounter his people, a a means in which God's people would commune with God and experience his presence. It was always a means to relationship. It's no coincidence that in the Gospel of John, we read in the first chapter, speaking of Jesus' becoming man, that we read these words. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as only the son of the father full of grace and truth. The Greek word rendered dwelt literally means tabernacled, to pitch a tent, the same word. You see, David's longing to be in the presence of God, to dwell in the tabernacle forever, is fulfilled now by belonging to Jesus. For the glory of God that was present in the tabernacle now shines forth in the body of his son, Jesus. The same word as we trace it through the New Testament occurs only four more times, all in the book of Revelation, all being applied to this sense of permanent dwelling place. In Revelation 21, we read of the new heavens and the new earth, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the ultimate end of the tabernacle, the vision of God's being with his people. Where death shall be no more, and we shall see God face to face. Until then, we trust that the ascended Christ is in heaven, praying for us at the Father's right hand. The Puritan theologian Richard Sibbs writes, What should we learn from this? but to come boldly to the throne of grace in all of our grievances. Shall our sins discourage us when he appears there only for sinners such as us? Are you bruised? Be of good comfort, for he calls you. Do not conceal your wounds, but open everything before him, and do not take Satan's counsel. Go to Christ, always trembling, as the poor woman who said, if I may only touch his garment. We shall be healed and have a gracious answer. So go boldly to God in your flesh, for he is flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone for this very reason, so that we may go boldly to him. In Christ, we have a permanent and unbreakable security in the finished work of Christ Jesus upon the cross. We may now come boldly to our God with all of our sins all of our fears, all of our anxieties, our griefs, everything that is weighing us down. For he is the one who hears us and delivers us. And now lastly, a word about praise. In verse 5 through 6 of our psalm, we hear David praying, For you, O God, have heard my vows and have given heritage to those who fear your name. You shall grant the king a long life, that his years may endure throughout all generations. These vows are bound up with Israel's worship and his covenantal promises to his people. They express confidence in God's power to act and to answer his prayer, the vows themselves being fulfilled after the prayer has been answered. In verse 6 we read, You shall grant the king a long life. 
There's an aspect where this would have served a functional capacity with Israel, a communal uh, dimension of what it means to have stability in a monarch. Similarly, we look back in history and perhaps to this day, depending how you feel about King Charles, but loyal subjects of the British crown would yell, God save the king, God save the queen. This is the same notion that's happening here, expressing hope in the nation and a long life for the monarch. For often the stability of the monarch signaled stability for the people. Moving through verse 6 and into verse 7, we read that his years may endure throughout all generations, that his throne shall abide before God forever and ever. Here we're seeing the interplay between David's royal kingship and the, the future kingship of Christ the Messiah, who will sit on David's throne. For here, David is recalling God's promise to establish an eternal kingdom in which Christ will sit on the throne and abide forever and ever. In the words we hear back in uh, 2 Samuel 7, we hear the God promising to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The promise of an eternal king anticipates the coming of Christ, a descendant of David whose rule will be preserved by his loving mercy and faithfulness. The flow of this psalm moves from isolation and distance from God in the first few verses. David crying out from the ends of the earth. Moving towards a renewed sense of David's understanding and trust of God's protection over his life. And a desire to be in God's very presence. And here in verse 8 we see the psalm culminating with an acclamation of praise to a God who listens and answers our prayers. We hear David praying, so I will always sing praise unto your name. David is restored to his steadfast trust in the God who listens and delivers us. In closing this evening, I want to share a story from Russell Moore. He's the editor-in-chief at Christianity Today. In this little expert, he tells a story about the adoption of his two sons from Russia. He writes, The creepiest sound I have ever heard was nothing at all. My wife, Maria, and I stood in the hallway of an orphanage somewhere in the former Soviet Union on the first of our two trips required for our petition to adopt. Orphanage staff led us down a hallway to greet the two one-year-olds who we hoped would become our sons. The horror wasn't the squalor and the squench, although we at times stifled the urge to vomit and to weep. The horror was the quiet of it all. The place was more silent than a funeral home by night. I stopped and I pulled on Maria's elbow. Why is it so quiet? The place is filled with babies. Both of us compared the stillness with the buzz and punctuated squeals that came from our church nursery back home. Here, if we listened carefully enough, we could hear babies rocking themselves back and forth, the crib slats gently bumping up against the walls. These children did not cry because infants eventually learn to stop crying if no one ever responds to their calls for food, for comfort, and for love. No one ever responded to these children, so they stopped. The silence continued as we entered the boys' room, 
Little Sergey, now Timothy, smiled at us, dancing up and down while holding the side of his crib. Little Maxim, now Benjamin, stood straight at attention, regal and czar-like. But neither boy made a sound. We read them books filled with words they couldn't understand about saying goodnight to moons and cows jumping over the same. But there were no cries, no squeals, no groans. Every day we left at the appointed time in the same way we had entered, in silence. On the last day of the trip, Maria and I arrived at the moment we had dreaded since the minute we received our adoption referral. We had to tell the boys goodbye. As by law, we had to return to the United States and wait for the legal paperwork to be completed before returning to pick them up for good. After hugging and kissing them, we walked out into the quiet hallway as Maria shook with tears. And that's when we heard the scream. Little Maxim fell back in his crib and let out a guttural yell. It seemed he knew, maybe for the first time, that he would be heard. On some primal level, he knew he had a father and a mother now. Cry out to God because he listens. Cry out to God because he is there. Cry out to God because he loves you. Flee to Christ, our rock and our salvation, who went to the ends of the earth, who went to the cross, to defeat sin and death so that our heavy and restless hearts may find rest in him. Amen. Free at last, they took your life. They could not.